Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. I want you to imagine a husband with me for a moment. Now, this husband is faithful to his wife, right? He's not flirting with any other women, even in his mind. He's not giving in to any lustful thoughts. He is being faithful to his wife. He's also a very hard worker, right? The honeydew list, it's always getting done. He's keeping up on the things around the house, anything the wife asks him to do to to run this errand or to fix this thing. He is all over it. But it's been a while since that wife has heard from him, I love you. And even in his spare time, he doesn't seem to be talking to his wife or listening to his wife. He kind of seems to be off doing his own thing. And it's been a while since they've really spent some just time away together or on a date together. Is that really a healthy marriage? And you might look at it and say, well, it could be a lot worse, right? I mean, he could be not doing the things the wife asks. He could not be as faithful to his wife. I mean, it could be a lot worse, but you'd also look at it and say, well, it should be a lot better. In fact, the main thing that husbands are commanded to do is to love their wives. It's possible that he can be doing a lot of the right things, but still missing one of the most important things in that relationship. Well, in that little story, that's also true for what can sometimes be the case for Christians or for churches. You can have churches or Christians that are believing the right things. They're not slipping into false teaching or false doctrine. You can have churches and Christians that are still doing a lot of the right things. They're not giving into immorality or letting sin creep into their lives, but you can have that and still be missing something that should be at the center of every Christian's relationship and every church's relationship with Christ, and that is love. And this is the problem that we see with the church at Ephesus. As we look today at Revelation 2, verses 1 through 11. And as we get into chapters 2 and 3, we're going to see letters that are written specifically to uh, these different churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. And I I believe that these are actual letters written to actual churches that are experiencing actual problems. And here he writes to the church at Ephesus. So even if you think of the letter of Ephesians, this is the same church, but probably decades down the road from when we see Paul doing ministry at Ephesus, from when the letter to the Ephesians was written. And look at what he says to this church. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so there, we see this warning. There's praise for a lot of things that they're doing right, but he says you have you have lost the love, you have abandoned the love that you had. 
at first. That should be a warning to all of us. And we should think about love in a couple ways. There is some debate and it's hard to arrive at a definitive answer for what he means here. Is he talking about love that Christians should have for God, for Christ? Or is this love talking about the love that we should have for one another? And it's a very fair question, but I think both of those things, there, there is truth and we need to guard against both of those things as well. I do think it is possible for Christians to be believing the right things and doing a lot of the right things, but to have lost that love and that desire for God that they had at one point. I also think it's very possible for Christians and especially for churches to be believing a lot of the right things, doing a lot of the right things, and losing the love that they have for one another. And I also think it's really impossible to separate those loves. We can't say that we love God if we're not loving one another. And if we are truly loving God, that will of necessity flow out in a love towards one another. And we need to see that as an essential ingredient of the Christian life. And this isn't, we don't want to get too caught up in emotion here because love biblically is not just about feelings or emotion, but it is this commitment and really an attachment to some person. And we want to make sure that that love that we have for Christ and that love that we have for one another is strong. And so I want you to examine yourself today and don't just say, well, you know, I'm not buying into false doctrine. I'm not caving to the cultural pressure. I'm not giving into sin in my life, so I must be good. Do you have the love that you had at first, both for God and for other Christians? And if you feel like, well, I don't know, maybe that's slipping a little bit in my own life. What do I do? Well, remember what it says in verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Right? He doesn't call them, hey guys, fire up those feelings. No, go do what you did at first. Many Christians, you know, when they were younger, they would just spend time upon time just reading the word and praying with, spending time alone with God. Are you still doing those things? Are you still investing in the relationship? I mean, imagine what you would tell the husband. You would say, hey, you need to do some of the things you did at first. Go take your wife out on a date. Spend time alone with her. Buy her flowers. Write her notes. Give her gifts. Go do those things. Don't wait for some feeling to overwhelm you. Go do the things, the acts of love that you did for your wife. Similar when it comes to God, go do the things. Spend time with him. Sing songs of worship to him. Show the love that you have for him. Show the love that you have for believers. Do something to reach out to somebody. Do something to encourage somebody. Step up to meet somebody's need. Do the things that you did at first. And may God always keep us people that truly can say that we love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we love his people. And may we take this warning to the church at Ephesus seriously. Next, there's the letter to the church at Uh, Smyrna. And this church, it seems to, there's not a lot of correction here, but there's a call to endurance. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Right. And just there's that idea of, um, we, we don't fear even in tribulation. We can trust God. And even if following Christ leads to poverty in this life, we can say we are rich in 
Christ. And there's a call, each one of these letters, there's uh, some kind of promise, some kind of charge in a positive way at the end here. It says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So those are the two letters we see in Revelation today. Uh, Next, let's go to Psalm 133. And this is a psalm really about the unity of the people of God and how good it is. Uh, Verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So it just starts with that statement. It's good when brothers dwell together in unity. And think about that. Just even the picture now of a local church. How good is it when you with the people at your local church, you feel like you are together in unity? Does it get much better than that? Not really. And then he uses these pictures, some of which really touch on some of the religious ceremony of the day. This anointing really, Aaron was the the high priest, right? The, the anointing of the high priest, just kind of the special things. He goes on things in their culture or even things in nature with the dew of Hermon, uh, you know, and saying all these good things, you know, whether it's uh, the anointing of a high priest or the dew on this mountain, right? That's what it's like. So maybe you think of, you know, uh, our culture, one thing we might think of, oh, that's good, you know, a Thanksgiving feast, right? Hey, that's how good it is when brothers dwell in unity. Or you think of, you know, a sunrise or or something beautiful in nature. And it's like, yeah, that's what it's like when brothers dwell in unity. And again, to ask ourselves, well, am I contributing to that? Am I living in unity with others? Often we want to pine for unity and not often do we want to look in the mirror and saying, well, how am I contributing to that? And hopefully we can see that from Psalm 133 today. In Exodus, we look at chapters 30 and through 32 today, and this is mostly focused on the nation of Egypt. And notice even some of the headings in your Bible might use the word lament. And even in chapter 32, verse 2, God tells Ezekiel to raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and, and say to him, now a lament is a sad song. And I found that interesting throughout Today is that even from God, there seems to be a sense of grief over the destruction of Egypt. Now, we clearly see that there's a sense of grief over what happens to Jerusalem. But here we see, even towards these pagan nations, a sense of grief. It's not if God is just saying, ha, 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 Pharaoh, what a loser. This is what you get, right? To some extent, God is judging Pharaoh and giving him what he deserves. But also with it, there is a, a, a hint of grief, in God. And I found that interesting, even against these other nations. And just a reminder that what we see in other passages, that God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. Uh, God desires all to come to repentance. And so even seeing that just in Ezekiel 30 to 32 made me think of that, just the grief that God has even over these nations. God will bring justice, but even in the justice, there, there is a sadness that Uh, These people are being destroyed and that they are falling uh, into judgment the way that they are. And in chapter 31, it uses this image of a tree and compares Pharaoh to Assyria, which was another nation that God said was arrogant and was punished. And so here I think we see the heart of God in these 
passages, a heart that will judge sin, a heart that will not let the arrogance of world leaders go unpunished. And that even can be comforting to us today. Because guess what? There's still arrogant world leaders who defy God. But God is in control of all of that. But we also see there's a sense of grief and lament even that God calls his people to have, even when wicked wicked rulers are judged. So found that interesting from Ezekiel today. Finally, we go to John 11 verses 17 through 27. And here we find some amazing words that should comfort every Christian. One of my favorite songs that we've started singing over the last year at our church is Christ, our hope in life and death. And this There's a famous verse in our passage today that's good for us to remember because unless Christ comes back in our lifetime, every one of us will will die. But we can have hope and that hope should not be something that we take for granted. That hope should be precious to us. Consider these words from Jesus in John 11, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I want to ask you that question today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that if your faith is in Christ, if you die, you will yet live? That you will be raised from the dead as Christ was raised from the dead. And if you live and make it to the the second coming of the Lord, you will never die. Do you believe this? In a world where even over the past couple years now, death has been more a part of people's thought process than it was before, and it probably should have been more before. In a world that is full of death, and death seems like an inevitability to us, do we truly believe that if we believe in him, though we die, yet we shall live? And if we live and believe, we we will never die. These are good and encouraging words for us. I hope you have a blessed day. Thanksgiving. And what we want to do on the podcast over these next couple of days, instead of taking a couple of days off and catching up on the weekend, we're just going to do shorter episodes these next few days so we can keep some movement. We probably won't be able to look at every passage, but so we can at least keep moving forward together. So hopefully there'll be some shorter episodes these next few days throughout the, the holiday weekend. And I do hope that you have just a blessed Thanksgiving time with loved ones where you get to give thanks to our God for the good things that he has done. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.